Hi, everyone. This is Eric Malmstrom, CEO of Safe Traces, and your host for the Safe Traces podcast, where we talk about major issues in the world of safety, uh, technology, and industrial hygiene. And today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Safe Traces advisor and leading industrial hygienist and safety consultant, John Martin. John has over two decades of experience in industrial hygiene across a wide range of industries and holds degrees from Roger Williams College, Boston University, and the University of Massachusetts. Thanks so much for being on today, John. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So to kick us off, give us a little bit of your background and how you ended up in the world of industrial hygiene. Thank you. They, um, my path to industrial hygiene uh, sort of meandered through uh, my undergraduate experience pursuing degrees in chemistry and biology. Uh, and after undergraduate, I spent some time in the analytical laboratories. And so, somewhere it, it, during my career with the labs, I, I just decided that I, I was looking for something a little bit more challenging. And I wound up in, in environmental consulting, which is, a, which is a, an industry that, that works hand in hand with the laboratories. And while I was uh, in consulting, I was introduced to the idea of pursuing the Master's of Public Health from Boston University. And while there, I was introduced to the first uh, traditional industrial hygiene course uh, as part of that degree program. And it, it dawned on me that that's exactly what I was doing on a daily basis uh, it, during with my job in, in consulting. So I, I sort of took that, that idea and, and let it grow. Uh, when I finished uh, the de degree at Boston University, I, I, I wanted to give it a couple of years and, uh, and then go back for a research degree. Uh, and at that time, my, my two options that, that most appealed to me, um, one of them was industrial hygiene, and I chose that path because of, uh, of what I was doing. So I really didn't start my undergraduate career with uh, with the focus to go into industrial hygiene. It just sort of happened along the way. Uh, and I, I think a lot of hygienists that you, you might meet um, have a background in engineering or chemistry or biology, and they, they just sort of fall into it. And it's, very, it's a very interesting uh, field of, of work, uh, and it encompasses a, a wide variety of sciences from toxicology and chemistry to, to aerosol science and biology. So there's there's really a, a wide range of expertise that uh, that falls under the under the umbrella of industrial hygiene, and as a result, I, I'm really not sure I've ever had the same day twice. It, it's really one of those uh, one of those uh, areas that uh, that will will keep you challenged, uh, which is exactly what I was looking for when I was in the laboratories. And in the the applied world, what industries have you been working in over the course of your career? Oh gosh, I've worked with um, oil and gas. I've uh, worked in the um, hospitality industry uh, with iron workers and builders, uh, extensively in the environmental uh, industry, um, commercial real estate, uh, healthcare, uh, education uh, from K through colleges, and uh, most recently, I've uh, been working uh, with uh, with a group in the entertainment industry. Fantastic. Well, incredible diversity. What's what's work been like since the onset of the pandemic earlier this year? It's really um, it, the, the workload has has increased considerably. And as you might imagine, it's it's been very focused on 
on the pandemic and and just keeping up with uh, with the new information and scientific uh, scientifically and in, in the world of policy and public health has been uh, has been a bit of a challenge. Um, uh, one you know uh, happily accepted, but the the questions that I've I've been fielding have really been related to how how are we best uh, able to maintain safety and security to both our our people and and the public uh, while we start to transition from work at home or work isolated uh, from your your colleagues and coworkers to maybe going back into an office environment or a hybrid office environment and 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 with that there have been a number of challenges to to address that seem to be unique from office to office. Yeah, so talk to us about some of those challenges, uh, because as you say, it's been a very uh, dynamic, uh, ever-changing, and also overwhelming in some respects type of situation that we've been in, where there are many different risks, the guidance on them, and even the, the underlying science is changing, or there are new developments all the time, and then you're responsible for EHS or engineering or facilities and you have to go and do something where you're dealing with significant health and safety consequences as well as financial consequences. So what are what are some of the biggest challenge areas that you've seen with your clients? I, I think the first one is is communication and being able to you know clearly convey sometimes vague scientific concepts and, and ideas to to the engineers and, and the building managers, and then ultimately to the occupants of an office environment, uh, and and really to provide the rationale for the, the safe distancing as has been recommended by the CDC and, and various departments of public health, and, and to that the the real need for face coverings and a rigorous hygiene program. I, I think those are that that comes to mind first, and then and then after that, the the uh, physical mechanisms for sanitizing or at least disinfecting um, to the greatest extent possible high touch, high traffic surfaces, and the indoor air, all of which are you know really vital to trying to mitigate to the greatest extent possible the uh, the idea of exposure and transmission of disease. And on that point, so a, a current point of uh, debate and, and focus is the different ways that the virus can transmit. And you have a unique perspective on this, not only as an industrial hygienist, but also as an aerosol scientist. And there's been a lot of uh, debate regarding the, the importance of airborne transmission, both by itself and in, in in uh, relative to fomite transmission. So talk to us about how you think about those relative transmission risks and both in terms of their relative importance, but also in, in, in terms of how you uh, mitigate those if you're responsible for safety of a building. This, this, is, a, this is an excellent and, and highly debated area. Uh, I, I, from the very beginning, uh, because I, I, I as an aerosol scientist, I, I, I've long thought from the from the very beginning of, of the pandemic 
that this was airborne and it was an aerosol. And I, I think, you know, there is a, a growing number of aerosol scientists worldwide who support this. Uh, the, the, there has been a little bit of, of disagreement scientifically between uh, the idea of this being an aerosol uh, or a droplet, which, uh, which is widely regarded with the, the CDC and the World Health Organization. Um, my, my view is it, it almost certainly is a combination of the two, but I, I, I really, really think that there is a, a, a bigger contribution uh, that, uh, than, than we realize at this point uh, for, for the aerosol route. The, air, the aerosol route is, is one of those areas that is, is a little bit more difficult for, uh, for the communities to sort of get their arms around. And I, I think that that really warrants a lot of, a lot of attention. So with respect to the airborne transmission risk and how you mitigate it from an engineering controls and, and HVAC perspective, there are three broad categories of guidance that ha- have come out. One uh, deals with ventilation and filtration. The second deals with airborne interventions and things like UVGI, bipolar ionization. And then the third is a, a category I'll call other including things like air scrubbers. Give us your perspective on each of those categories of, um, of solutions and, and how people should be thinking about those holistically. This is, this is a really important point. I'm, I'm happy you brought this up. So the American Society for Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers recently put out uh, some guidelines for building engineers and managers to to, to, to set their HVAC systems up to, to try to mitigate to the greatest extent possible um, through the mechanical means, uh, the, the possible the potential for uh, transmission or exposure and transmission or recirculating uh, you know, the, the virus in the indoor environment. And some of the, some of the highlights of their recommendations are to increase the, in, the intake to the maximum uh, system tolerance to the system's design uh, to also set the relative humidity in the indoor environment to 40 to 60 percent and to if at all possible run the system to the greatest extent as possible uh, 24 hours a day uh, but if that's not feasible for some buildings then the the recommendation falls to starting the system at least two hours before occupancy begins and let that run two hours after uh, after everybody has vacated the building the, the the next part of that is airborne interventions and there are you know three broad categories that that I've looked at recently that uh, are are worth noting uh, one is photocatalytic oxidation another one is ultraviolet germicidal irradiation which you mentioned earlier UVGI and the third one is uh, is called bipolar ionization and each one of these techniques uh, and technologies has certain advantages and disadvantages and without really get, getting into all of them uh, the the technical literature supports uh, the the statement that all three of these techniques are fairly effective antimicrobials effective uh, against molds and mold spores bacteria and viruses and the the conventional thinking is that would include uh, SARS-CoV-2 and the third uh, category that you mentioned the other category is uh, is really more of a mechanical uh, uh, physical means of re- removing particulate from the air. 
uh, which which may be left over after treatment with some of these uh, some of the previously mentioned uh, technologies. And I think ultimately the the best solution, uh, which of course will vary from one building or one office setting to the next and to the next, would be a combination of HVAC settings, uh, interventions, and mechanical filtration. Excellent. Now let's put another and different lens on on the decision making, which is financial. So beyond the health and safety benefits of the solutions you just mentioned, each of those have a price tag associated with it. And when you start pursuing multiple uh, solutions and you're dealing with a big space, this can be quite a significant financial burden on a, on a, on a business, on an organization. How, how do you think about that? How do you advise your clients to think about that? And what type of time frame do you think that they need to be thinking about their decision over? Is this something that's relevant right now in the peak of the pandemic? Is it going to be something that has kind of long-term repercussions for their, their building? Um, give us a sense of that. Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll address that from the, the last point to the first point. I, I, I think at this point, there, there, it looks like this could be a a longer term uh, thought process for building engineers and managers, uh, or at least until the, the 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 pandemic has started to to wane. But at this point, there there seems to be enough incident cases that uh, looking forward and you know into the next six months or the next year. Uh, this this seems like this is going to be uh, heavy on the minds of of engineers and and uh, and the financial um, you know arms of the of the buildings and and the companies that are involved. Uh, the and I forget, forgive me. I the the first part of the question was with respect to uh, the the cost the costs re- relative to the risks and you know that that's that's uh, an area where I've I've spent far less time um, I think in part because the you know this is this is so new and we're really kind of trying to figure out you know, what, what is it what 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 seems to be the you know the optimum uh, set of, of uh, cleaning or sanitizing uh, uh, you know procedures that the the costs have been really secondary in terms of the conversations that I, that I've had I, I do know that these techniques and the technology can be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, which, you know, for a smaller business, put put them into, you know, serious serious considerations of, you know, whether or not they would financially be able to absorb it. Um, so it, the, I, I wish I had a, a stronger question with regard to the the, the cost to the risk, um, but at this point, I, I, we've really been focusing on on first how do we how do we come up with a solution then. And then we figure out, you know, the best the best way of, of financing it. So, be really interesting to hear your perspective on which technologies that are currently exist and that you really like having at your disposal as a practitioner, and what types of technologies do you see a need for, and and that you would like to have. Well, I all of the te- all of the technology that is out there has been has been in play for for quite some time and has uh, has plenty of support from the 
technical literature as uh, as being effective antimicrobials. I it seems recently have have leaned towards UVGI as my as as a technology that I I just I, I really like the technology, even though there are some uh, some dis- distinct disadvantages in using it. I, I, one of the areas that would help in in sanitizing and cleaning spaces would be to you know be able to sort of trace where 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 particles deposit in a room, and, and of course this this sort of leads into the into into the technology that Safe Traces has has introduced to the market, and it it does it does look like to me to be a very useful. You know, Technique to use in, in in correlation with the techniques that are that are presently available, and certainly I think the more um, hygienists and, and building managers that uh, become aware of this, that it would be a, a uh, an eye opener, a, a bit of a of a sanitizing game changer for them. Excellent. Well, to close out, we just want to give you the floor of beyond what you've already said and all the the valuable insights. What type of uh, final thoughts or uh, recommendations do you have for those out there who may be listening and are responsible for making these safety decisions within buildings? What 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 would be your your parting thought to them? Well, I think the the the, the best advice that I could offer to anyone is before they before somebody in, embarks on a a a campaign to to try to render their facilities or offices or, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, safe or you know to the extent practical uh, and and feasible possible to to try to mitigate the potential for exposure and transmission uh, is to is to engage the you know a consultant uh, a hygienist or or a professional engineer a building engineer or somebody with uh, some. Uh, some strong HVAC uh, credentials to to help them uh, with with some of the decision making uh, steps along the way. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, John. We really appreciate your time, and thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And that will conclude this edition of the Safe Traces podcast. And we look forward to catching you next time. Thank you for having me.